Hey, welcome to those of you here with us in the house uh, this morning, as, as I always do. I also want to welcome our online church family as well on this kind of cold, rainy uh, January morning. I uh, hope you're having a good uh, new year so far. Uh, just a weekend, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, some of you have already messed up the whole deal, right? You had all these goals. You had all these ambitions. This year's going to be different. You've already crashed. The good news is we're in church and there's grace, right? We all, we all need grace. Uh, super excited about uh, being here with you this morning as we kind of kick off a, a brand new uh, message series. And before we get cranked up, just want to put a couple of things uh, on your radar as it relates to the, the life and rhythm of our, our church family. Uh, the first is, uh, some of you already aware, some of you may not know, but uh, next Sunday we're having our, our first worship night uh, of, the, of the new year. And so that's going to be next Sunday night at 6.30 right in here. And we like to do these just several times a year uh, to really just kind of focus in our attention and affection on worshiping God. And you don't have to listen to a boring sermon for 35 minutes from me. It's just all worship. And so I hope that you'll come and, and be with us next Sunday night. Be really, really good. As Pastor Mike, our, our worship pastor, said last week, it's going to be very sing-alongy. So you're going to know all the songs, right? And so you'll be able to participate and I think it'll be a great time of encouragement, edification for us as a faith family. So I want to invite you to that. And then the second thing is at the end of this month, January 29th, I think that's the last Sunday of January, uh, we're going to be having our next Journey 201 class. That's our church membership class. We call it a team membership here because we here at New Life, man, we don't believe it's about a pastor on a stage or a band or anything like that. We believe Jesus has called us to be a one family, one team on mission with him, right? So we call it team membership here, not church membership. And so if you've been here a while and you're like, man, yes, I know New Life is going to be our faith family. Let me encourage you, go ahead and go online and register for that Journey 201 class. It's going to be a Sunday morning, 9 to noon-ish, something like that. So you're, we're not taking an extra day uh, from your week or an extra evening. It's when you are already be here anyway for, for church. And so um, go ahead and register for that. Come hang out with us for a few hours, January 29th, uh, if you feel like the Lord is maybe calling you to take that step of of team membership going to be a, a good time now i'm pumped today because today is our launch of our love and light brand new message series through the epistle of first john if you have a bible go ahead and grab that imprint on your app go to first john chapter one we're just going to kind of hang out in the first four verses together this morning if you got a bible in print you go to revelation kind of end of your bible if you hit revelation hang a left go a little bit further and, and you'll find First John. It's a really small book, so it's easy, easy to miss. But before we dive in, let's ask for the Lord's help. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you as we start a brand new year. And uh, I think for, for most of us, we're excited about the possibilities that lay before us, God. And yet we know uh, that this year is going to present challenges, unique challenges, new challenges, some of the same challenges. And, uh, and God, we're going to need you, as we always have, to get through whatever lies ahead of us, God in the brand new year. And so, uh, Father, I pray whether we're a weekend, it's been a good new year so far, whether it's been a really tough new year so far, uh, God, that you would calm our hearts, that you would slow down our thoughts uh, long enough that we could just focus in, dial in our, uh, our minds, attention, and hearts, affection on you this morning so that we might hear from you. God, my confession uh, this morning is, is that these folks gathered here uh, in this room and watching online, uh, they don't need a word from me. They don't need my opinions. Um, the, these folks need a word from you. And, and so, God, would you, uh, would you hide me behind your son, Jesus? Uh, Holy Spirit, would you just use me as your mouthpiece 
uh, through your word um, to speak your truth to these uh, folks this morning as we start into a, a brand new year, God. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, let me start with a question. Um, you might have to think about this just for a moment. Some of you won't have to think about it long at all, but, but who knows you best in the world? Just think about that for a moment. Like, if, who knows you best in the world? If, you're, if you've been married for more than a year, you better say your spouse or you're going to be in trouble. Uh, if you're still at home, maybe you're middle school, high school, elementary, maybe you'd say your parents or a sibling. Perhaps some of you might say a, a best friend might, might know you uh, very well, maybe better than anybody else, especially if you've been uh, friends for, for a long time, number of years. So it could be family member, it could be friends, something like that. Uh, for, for me, my, the person I would say knows me the best, my, my best friend is my wife, Cheryl. And so uh, Cheryl and I have been together for uh, over 20 years now. We've been married for over 19. We've been uh, through a lot of highs and lows together uh, um, as a couple. Uh, she's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, and she stayed, right? And so she gets bonus points uh, from me for that. And so, man, if you, if you wanted to discover who, who I am, like what makes me tick, what gets me out of bed in the morning, what, what I'm really like when, when the stage lights are off, what my favorite food is, how I like my coffee. Like your go-to expert on the subject of everything Chris Dillon would be Cheryl Dillon, right? That would be your, absolutely, that would be your, your go-to expert on who I am. Now, I would argue in the, in, the, in the same way, if you wanted to know who Jesus was, like what, have you ever wondered, like, what was Jesus really like when he walked planet Earth? Like, what was his favorite food? Like, what kind of music did he like listening to? Like, what was his, what was his humor like? Like, what, how, how, what was the substance of his, of his teaching? Like, what did, he, what did he value most? Like, if you really wanted to know everything about Jesus, what he taught, what he cherished, you would turn to those who know him best, wouldn't you? And I would argue that nobody knew Jesus better than the Apostle John. Nobody knew Jesus better than the Apostle John. So Jesus had the 12 disciples. You probably heard that. But he also had what Bible scholars call the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And most would argue that it seems like from the scriptures that John was actually his very best friend, his, his very closest friend. So if you want to know about Jesus, John would be the dude that you would go to to find out about Christ. So I'm excited that we're going to be exploring uh, one of the books that John wrote so that we really get that firsthand eyewitness account about what Christ was like. Now, there are several things you should know about John before we read his writings. You should know that John was a, was a blue-collar dude. He was a, he was a fisherman. Uh, John was a, was a man's man. In fact, the scriptures tell us that Jesus gave John and his brother James a particularly interesting nickname. Do you guys know what the nickname is that he gave them? Sons of, sons of Thunder. I just want to know, what does it take? to get that kind of nickname from Jesus, right? Sons of Thunder. I, I would say at the very least, we probably could argue uh, John had a very bold personality. Uh, there's this really fascinating story uh, in the Gospels. If you've been around uh, church a while or read your Bible a lot, you probably have heard this story. But uh, Jesus and his 12 disciples are traveling from town to town. They're doing ministry. Um, they're actually on their way to Jerusalem, and they go to this particular town, and they, they run into some resistance in, in this town, and so, so John and his brother James, and they're not joking, they're being serious, they actually come to Jesus in that moment, they're like, hey Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and incinerate these people? They're just like, they're ready to go, they're like, how dare they resist the Son of God, let's fry them, Jesus, right? Now the fascinating thing is, as you watch John mature, 
through his writings, through the years, it's, it's really beautiful how Jesus molds him and matures him over the decades. In fact, John, by the time he was an older man, do you know what he was known as? The apostle of love. The apostle of love. So, so he goes from Jesus, let's incinerate these fools, to the apostle of love. Like what a, what a trans, if you ever wondered if Jesus can actually transform a human life, Look no further than the Apostle John, Sons of Thunder to the Apostle of Love. Now, he wrote five books in the New Testament. This will be helpful to you in your next Bible trivia night. Five books in the New Testament. The first one, you, you can just guess, right? John's Gospel. That's the first book that he wrote. He actually wrote that to, to non-Christians in an attempt to uh, convince them to become followers of Jesus. So that's why I always tell the folks that I meet that maybe they're on the fence, they don't believe yet. I tell them, start with the book of John, because that's specifically why John wrote uh, his gospel. So that's his first book. Then he wrote three letters to, to encourage Christians, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the first of which is what we're going to be going through over the course of the, the, the next eight or nine weeks. So that makes four. Anybody know, bonus points, what's the fifth book of the Bible that John wrote? Anybody know? Yeah, you guys are, man, y'all are smart. I can't believe you're, you're brilliant. Yes, Revelation. And he actually wrote that book uh, for Christians so that they could prepare for the second coming um, of Jesus Christ. And so five books. We're going to dig into to this one. As you're going to see over the course of the next eight or nine weeks, John is a prolific writer, but here, here's what I'm most impressed with as I study the, the life and teachings and writings of John, is this is a man who knew and followed Jesus faithfully over a lifetime. Now, now listen, y'all, the, the older I get, I'm 42 going on 43 now, the, the older I get, the more I'm convinced that this is the, the best legacy, the most important thing we can pursue in life is to know and love Jesus and follow him to the very end, to the very end of our lives, right? For, for, for us to, to, when we breathe our last breath, for the people who know us best and love us most to say, you know what, here's what I know about Chris. Man, he loved and followed Jesus to the very end. Man, he, he was far from perfect. Man, he had a lot of quirks. He was really kind of annoying in, in a lot of ways, but gosh dang it, he loved Jesus, man. He loved the Savior. May John's legacy become our legacy because listen, this is what I can promise you guys. When it's your turn to go, when it's your turn from Pat to pass from this life on planet Earth into eternity, here, here's what I can promise you. Nobody's going to care how much money you had in your bank account. Not, they're just not. Nobody, nobody's going to ask you, dude, like, how, how's your 401k looking? How much you got in the bank account? Like, nobody's going to give a rip about, nobody's going to care. Had teenagers, high school students, college, nobody's going to care how cool your car was. On that final day, no, nobody's going to give a rip how cool your car, nobody's even going to care what college you graduated from. Like all the things that we just, man, we really labor over and have all these intense struggles and decisions about what we should do and how we should spend our life, most of those things will not matter one single iota in the end. So friend, let me just encourage you, as we work through this book, let's begin to strive to leave a legacy that lasts, just like the Apostle John, that we loved and we followed Jesus right down to the end of our lives. Now, you may or may not know this. John was the last surviving apostle 
So all the other guys, they were martyred before John was. And so scholars tell us John actually probably lived to the ripe young age of about 100, maybe even over 100 years old. In fact, when he writes 1 John, he's, he's already an old man. He probably writes in the 80s AD or so, so 50, 55 years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So he's an old dude at this point in time, maybe 90 or so, something like that. And what you'll notice as we go through this book is that John can at times be very direct, you might almost even say blunt, all right? So if you're a type A person, if you're a straight shooter, I think you're really gonna appreciate John in this letter. If you're a type B kind of person, maybe a little more sensitive, you might pearl clutch a couple of times as we go through this book. But just hang in there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. There's something good for type A, type B folks um, as well. And I think that's one of the advantages to getting older, as John was when he penned this letter, is you just start to care less what people think of you. For those of you over 40, you know what I'm talking about? You just start caring less what people think, Right? When you're 90 years old and your hip hurts because you slept on the wrong side of the bed and you threw your back out because you sneezed the wrong way at breakfast, you just don't really care what people think about you quite as much as you did when you were in your teens and 20s, maybe early 30s. That's one of the things I think I'm looking most forward to about becoming a senior citizen, right? Just, just being able to say whatever I want. Hey, kids, get off my lawn! And Jesus loves you, right? I'm just going to combine both shamelessly and it will be normal. It's like, oh, it's just old, old, that's just old, kind of grumpy Chris, man, but he loves Jesus. You know, just stay off his lawn and he'll be happy, right? Come to VBS, right? So that, that's kind of the picture that we get. That's kind of the picture that we get from, from John, man. Lo- loving guy, became the apostle of love, but, but has gotten to this point where he, he's just, he doesn't have time to mess around. He's giving us the truth. He's being very direct. He, he writes this from a city called Ephesus, Uh, This is modern-day Turkey. I've spent some time in Turkey over the last uh, few years. Beautiful uh, country, and he was a pastor in in Ephesus. And so uh, what you're really going to see shine through over the course of the next eight or nine weeks is really John's pastoral and fatherly heart. You're really going to see that kind of shine through these five chapters. Let Let me just encourage you, if I could, to, to spend some time in First John the next eight or nine weeks. Next two months, just read through it a few times. I think it will really bless you. It's uh, an immensely practical book, uh, five chapters, 105 verses. You really could read it one sitting, sit down for you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, a cup of coffee. You can get through the, the whole thing. So let me, let me just encourage you, just read, read through it two, three, four, five times. The next couple months, I think it will really be a blessing to you, and it will enrich our time together on Sunday mornings as we're, we're reading the same thing together. Very practical. And he's writing this to believers or Christians who have been scattered out of Jerusalem because of uh, just immense persecution in the city, right? And, and he's writing them to do two things primarily. He's encouraging them and he's warning them. He's encouraging them and he's warning them. And I've said this to you before, uh, but I'll say it again. I, I think we need both in our lives as Christians, don't we? Don't, don't we need to be encouraged and warned? I, I know I do, right? I need, I need sometimes, I need people to encourage me and just say, attaboy, man. Like you're, you're doing a good job, man, as a, as a husband or, man, I really see the way that you, you're, you're loving your kids well or the way that you're doing whatever. I, I need that encouragement. On the same, on the same token, man, I, I need people to challenge me at times, right? If 
I'm stepping into some, some dangerous waters, I need some brothers and sisters around me who are, are going to get in my face in love and say, hey, bro, listen, you need to back off. Like, you're, you're stepping into some da- dangerous waters. You're, you're going to wreck your ministry. You're going to wreck your family. You're going to wreck your life. Like, I need both of those things, encouragement and challenge. I would argue that you need both of those things in your life, encouragement and challenge. And that is exactly what the Apostle John intends to give us over the course of the next eight weeks or so. Now, John is writing about three primary themes here, faith, obedience, and love. All right, everybody say that with me. Faith, obedience, and love. You could probably add a fourth, the assurance of salvation, that I think is kind of tied into the other three. So you might could argue four main points. And really, as we go through these five chapters, what you're going to see is John's writing style is kind of like a spiral staircase, right? He just kind of keeps coming around to the same three or four points, not because uh, he's trying to be repetitive, but because he's really trying to drive home these really important truths in the Christian life. So I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be uh, really good for us as we work through this. Now, what you're also going to notice is John is, he's specifically concerned about an issue in his church, or the churches in Ephesus. And what we see kind of shake out as we look through this, as, as Bible scholars have looked at this, is he's specifically concerned with some false teachers who are arising from within the church to confuse the believers. Now, now it struck me um, as I was studying this week that oftentimes we as Christians see outside threats as the biggest threat to our faith, Right? So we think, oh, well, these groups over here are trying to persecute us, or maybe we're worried about the government, or we're worried about this group, or, or this philosophy in the culture. And, and sometimes there's leg- a legitimate reason to be concerned about some of those things, but oftentimes our, our greatest threat is from within. And this is exactly what John is experiencing in his church in, in Ephesus, right? There, there were some, some false gospels that were beginning to emerge in the first century. And I, and I would even argue not a whole lot has changed in our day. Now, now the type of heresies have changed, but not the fact that we have to deal with these things in the church. So I would argue, hey, today, some of the biggest false gospels, you've heard me talk about these before uh, in our day that we deal with. Well, number one, I would say right off the bat, probably prosperity gospel. Right? The prosperity gospel teaches that God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not happy, healthy, or wealthy, it's really on you. It's your fault because you don't have enough faith. Because if you had enough faith, then God would just heal you of that cancer, and he would just give you your dream job and make you a millionaire, and you could drive that fancy car, whatever that is. I just want to tell you right off the bat, man, that is a false gospel. That is not in Scripture. False gospel, just prevalent all over our culture today. Another one I would argue is, is what I would call the, the soup kitchen gospel. That's become very popular in our day as well. And the whole idea of the soup kitchen gospel is, man, our job as Christians is just to kind of like love people and clothe the poor and feed the hungry and those kinds of things. And listen, I'm in favor. We do a lot of that at New Life. I'm in favor of all those things. But if we're not careful, listen, we can just keep people warm and full on the pathway to hell. And what good does that actually do them, right? But there's a lot of folks out there, a lot of Christians out there, a lot of churches out there, that that's their focus. They're just kind of kind of soup kitchen churches. Let's do good, but we're never going to open our mouth. We're never going to risk potentially insulting someone by actually verbalizing the gospel. And listen, guys, again, that, that, is, that is a gospel that's found nowhere in Scripture. And then I would say probably the most uh, recent um, false gospel that has emerged in our culture is simply what I would call the affirmation gospel. 
And, and this is the gospel that says, hey, listen, our job as, as Christians is to love people, and, and, and loving people just means affirming everything in their lives. So, so whatever, it doesn't matter if it runs against what Scripture teaches. It doesn't matter if it runs against what Jesus explicitly taught. It doesn't matter if it runs against what the church has taught for 2,000 years. It doesn't matter if it's, it's actually going to damage them in the long run. It's our job as Christians just to love them and to affirm everything in their lives. And listen, guys, I'm just telling you, that is madness. That is absolute madness. In our, listen, guys, if I'm on the train track and a train is coming, please somebody yank me off. Don't, don't affirm me standing on that train track when a train, you see a train barreling down the track. Love me enough to say the hard things. Now say it in love, please. I don't like you to hurt my feelings. Say it in love, but, but say the truth. I need it. People need it in our lives. So there are all kinds of these false gospels that are swirling in our culture and unfortunately in a lot of American churches. In John's day, it wasn't necessarily those false gospels, but he was dealing with a group of people called the Gnostics. The Gnostics. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, you probably know all about the Gnostics, but if not, let me just kind of fill you in. The, the Gnostics fancied themselves as intellectual elites. So they were very educated. They were very kind of high-minded. They enjoyed pursuing intellectual things, right? And, and here's the kind of the crux of what the Gnostics believed. They believed that the spiritual things were good and physical things or matter was bad. So if you're just going to boil down everything they believe, you can kind of simplify it into that. Everything spiritual is good. Everything physical is bad. And so they begin to teach, well, if God is spirit and thus good, then Jesus couldn't inhabit a physical body because the body is bad. And so they begin to teach things like, well, Jesus wasn't really a person. He was a phantom. He was an illusion. People just saw, thought they saw him, or, or some, some of the Gnostics began to teach that, that, that the Jesus spirit descended on a man at, at Jesus' baptism and inhabited his body until the crucifixion, and then his spirit left him. And so this led them to deny all kinds of, listen guys, absolutely core, essential, foundational Christian doctrines like the virgin birth, for instance, like the incarnation of Jesus, like the literal body resurrection of Christ. Man, I'm talking, they went way off the rails, and John, as, as kind of a spiritual father to all these Christians in Ephesus, man, he's really concerned about his spiritual kids, that they're going to be led astray. Now, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a parent, you know what this, is, this feels like, right? If somebody is trying to lead your child astray or trying to deceive them, you're going to have a, a, probably a strong, fierce parental response to that, right? And this is exactly what we see from, from John as this fatherly, pastoral figure who's really concerned about the, the spiritual health of these Christians in Ephesus, right? Now, we're just going to cover the four, first four verses um, of the chapter this morning. This is what Bible nerds would call the, the prologue. Everybody say prologue. Prologue, all right? This is what the Bible nerds, again, call the prologue, first four verses. And the prologue is just like the front porch to the rest of the house, okay? So we're going to be on the front porch this morning, and then next week, John's going to invite us into the foyer, and that week after that, we're going to get to go hang out in his living room. Finally, we're going to end up in the back porch. We're going to get to explore the whole house and be really good. But I would argue, even on the front porch this morning, John is going to serve us some really good things, right? And so if you're from the South, he's going to pour you some nice Southern sweet tea. You know, it tastes like syrup in a bottle. If you're from the North, he's going to pour you some, some unsweet tea that just tastes like brown water, if you're into that. Um, whatever your taste are, John's going to hook you up with some of that. Maybe, some, maybe he'll have some bacon and crusted of filet bites for us 
on the front porch, maybe a sleeve of thin mints from the Girl Scouts. It's going to be a, a good thing. A lot of helpful advice. Man, I'm, I'm really excited about this book and even just the four uh, verses that we're going to look at. All right, hope you're intrigued. I'm excited, and that's all I really care about. I'm getting older. All right, chapter one. Chapter one, starting in verse one. This will be on the screens for you if you don't have a Bible. John writes this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now, notice the language that he begins to use, these sensory terms that he's using, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now, let me pause there, and I want to just encourage you, if you could, to, to, to go back 1,900 years and feel what John is feeling as he writes this. I, I want you to hear the excitement in John's voice as he writes this to these Christians. And I want you to imagine, uh, maybe like John, you've seen something amazing. Maybe you even can think of something right now where you were out somewhere and you found something, you saw something, and it was really amazing, and you were so excited about it, you couldn't wait to go back and tell uh, your friends about it. Maybe you went and saw the Grand Canyon, and you're just like, oh my God, the, the, like pictures don't do it justice. I gotta tell you, it's so amazing, so beautiful. Or maybe you can imagine yourself, you're out there exploring maybe on a deserted island on the coastline. You run across an old shipwreck, and you start exploring that shipwreck, and all of a sudden you find a treasure chest, man, and you open that bad boy up and man it's full of diamonds and rubies and gold coins and I just want you to imagine yourself sprinting back to your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends and you're running back you're like man you cannot believe what I just found like you cannot believe what I just saw you gotta come and see this is incredible this is the sense in which John is writing this so I want you to get his emotion as he's writing this man you're not gonna believe what we've heard and what we've seen and then he kind of picks it up halfway through verse one and he says which we have looked upon so this is the second time he said we've seen now we've looked upon that's a different greek word we'll talk about that in a minute and we have touched right so all these all these senses we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life that's a phrase for jesus the life was made manifest and we have seen it now he's, he's so excited he's repeating himself we have seen it and we testify to it we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us man he is so excited and what he is saying is guys listen i am i'm an eyewitness to the life and the power of jesus christ like i didn't read about this in the in a book i didn't i didn't see this like on, on instagram or facebook like i'm telling you like i am a, this is not second hand stuff this is not a third hand account like i am an eyewitness of the life and the power of jesus like he wasn't just a phantom like the gnostics are saying he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't an illusion. Like, I'm telling you, I saw him with my own eyes. I heard him with my own ears. Then he actually uses a different word. He says, uh, we looked upon him. So he says, we, we saw him, but then he uses a different word. It says, looked upon him, which means to, to closely examine something. So it's not like I, I just saw him in, in a crowd at a distance, like, oh, yeah, I saw him. He's over there. And he said, no, 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 I, I, I closely examined him. It's kind of like uh, the example I thought about is like when my kids were, were born, our three kids were born, um, and the nurse would, would take them and bring them over to me. It's not like I, would, I wouldn't just kind of like glance down at them and be like, yeah, yeah, I think they're, think they're mine. I'm going to go back to my ESPN app. No, man, I, like, I was examining every part of 
my kids, man, I was like looking at their hair, I was looking at their ears, like, come on, little girl, open your eyes, let me see, let me see what color your eyes are, I'm counting fingers and toes, one through ten, right, and so I'm just, I'm exploring, I'm examining everything about them, and so this is what John is saying, it's like, man, I didn't just see him somewhere, like, I examined him, I was with him, had conversations, like, I asked him questions, like, well, I was really with Jesus, and then he goes, we testify. You know, that's a Greek, that's a, actually a Greek word. It's a, it's a legal term for testimony that's so valid it's admissible in court. He's going, guys, listen, I, I'm, a, I'm a first-hand eyewitness account. If you don't trust what I'm saying, who the heck are you going to trust about Jesus? Like, I'm his best friend. I lived with him and walked with him for three and a half years. I saw him do miracles. I saw him dead. Then I saw him alive again. I am a first-hand witness to everything and then he goes not only am i testifying about it i want to proclaim that eternal life was with us he's going listen we ate with him we lived with him we laughed with him we joked with him we did life with him we thought we lost him but then he rose again and for 40 days we got to hang out with him again like we ate fish with him on the beach after his resurrection it was amazing it was incredible and the one that really got me as i was studying this week is he goes uh, John goes, we, we touched him. Now, what's so meaningful about that? Like, yeah, we, we saw him, we heard him, all these things, but he goes, man, we, we, we actually touched him, which, at least for me, brought back the story in Luke 24, where Jesus, after the resurrection, he appears to his disciples, kind of surprises them, startles them, and he, and he says to them, why, why are your hearts troubled? He goes, why, why are you guys upset? See, see my hands, see, see, see my feet. And then he, he extends an invitation to him. He says, come and touch me. See, he, he, he invites them, he invites them near. And I, and I just think, like, for John, what, what would it have been like to live with Jesus, to become his very best friend in the world, and then to helplessly stand by and watch him arrested, to go through a mock trial, to be brutally tortured and then murdered, and you think you just lost the most important person and relationship in your life, and then three days later, there he was. Man, what was that first embrace like? Like, Jesus, is that really you, man? Like, ah, it's you! I can't believe you're back! Like, I thought I lost you forever! Like, the only thing I can think of in my human experience that would even come, like, sort of close was probably about 10, 11 years ago, our little girls were really little, like maybe four and two. Judah, I don't think, was even born yet. And I was in a, in a pretty intense meeting uh, at, a, at a previous church that I was at, and uh, Cheryl called me. And so I, I, again, in the middle of this important meeting, and so I, I just kicked it to voicemail, and usually she'll text me back, and she called back again. And so I kicked it to voicemail and sent her a text. and said, hey, babe, I'm in a meeting. Can you just, can you just text me? And she called back again, and I knew, like, that man, that is so unusual. And so I said, hey, guys, let, I need to call my wife real quick. And so I called her, and she was just in a panic. She didn't know where she was. She was disoriented, and she said, I think I've just been in a wreck. And I'm not really sure what's going on. It's, there's a lot of smoke everywhere. I, I can't open the door. And so, man, I don't know if you've ever gotten a phone call like that, man, but you just go into, like, automatic panic mode at least for me worst case scenario my, my, my two little girls my wife my whole life's in that car 
And so I think I just floated out of that building, man. I've never run. I would have broken a world record, you know, sprinting from from that meeting to my car, man. And I flew down the driveway, turned onto the main road, found the van, got out. And thank God she was standing there, my little girls, and they were stunned. They were scared. And she was bruised up, but they were okay. And I just remember that embrace, man, like, you're okay. I was just, like, holding on to them, like, man, I never want to let you guys go. Like, I thought that I might have lost you guys, and I was just so grateful. Like, that physical touch meant the world to me. And I just think, this is the picture that we're getting of John. He's saying, like, man, man, we, we embraced him. He was with us. Like, that's our boy. That's our savior. We thought we lost him. We were crushed, and all of a sudden, he was with us. We got to hug him. It was incredible. Listen, John is captivated by Christ. And I would argue we should absolutely believe his eyewitness testimony. Who are you going to believe over John? His best friend. Some scholar that lived like a thousand years after Jesus. Some skeptic that's alive today that wasn't around. You're going to believe him over Jesus' best friend? And this is the best eyewitness testimony we could ever hope for. I think we should believe what John is saying here. Now notice the way that John articulates who Jesus is in verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning. Now that that may jog your memory to something that John wrote in his gospel, the, the first chapter of John's gospel. In fact, I want, I want us to read that together right now on the screens for you. He writes this in his first book that he wrote. It says this, In the beginning was the word, and this is a, a phrase that's used of, of Jesus again and again in the New Testament. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and catch this, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it so here's the first big idea john wants to give us right on his front porch this morning and again this strikes right at the heart of the gnostics false gospel number one jesus is eternal life Jesus is eternal, and he is eternal life. Listen, guys, Jesus had no beginning. I don't know if you know that or not. Jesus did not appear for the first time in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Like, that was not his first appearance in time in history. In fact, Jesus has no beginning, right? He was active in Genesis chapter 1 in the creative narrative. Jesus has always existed with the Father. He has always existed with the Son. He has no beginning. He has no end. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the living one, the one who was, who is, and is to come. He is king, creator, ruler, sustainer, savior, friend. Listen, there is no one quite like Jesus. And he has always been. This is what John is punching at here. He has always been. He has no beginning. He is eternal with the Father and the Spirit. Now, there's a second component to this truth, and that is that if you want eternal life, and if listen, I want you to look at me when I say this. If you want eternal life, listen, it is only ever to be found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you want eternal life, If you want to be with your creator one day, if you want to experience the new heavens and the new earth, there is is one pathway to that future, and it's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, this is controversial. 
For me to say that, standing on this stage in 2023 in the United States of America, I want you to know it was just as controversial for John to say that 1,900 years ago. But I want you to know, John is, listen, John didn't make this up. John is just repeating what he heard his best friend Jesus teach over and over and over again. And what did Jesus teach? Now, you maybe, maybe even remember this. John 14, 6, Jesus makes some of the most astonishing, controversial claims he ever made when he said, I am the way. He didn't go, I'm a way. He didn't go, I'm the best way. I'm one of many ways. Jesus goes, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, friend, let me ask you a question. How can it be with eight billion people on planet Earth today in a plethora of worldviews and religions that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Like, doesn't that seem narrow-minded to you? Doesn't that almost feel arrogant for us to say that as Christians, that, like, our guy, our way, Jesus Christ, is the only way? How would you answer that question if a classmate were to ask you or, or a neighbor were to find out that you're a Christian and they were to ask you that question? How would you respond to that? It's a challenging thing, isn't it? Now, there's, there's many ways that I think we could probably illustrate this, this truth. This is the way I would just illustrate it uh, this morning. Now imagine if you went uh, on a vacation and let's just say you, you took a cruise, right? Now, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever been on a cruise, cruise ship, all right? So that's at least probably half of the people in the room have, have been on a cruise. Now, um, my kids beg me, I, I, I've never been on a cruise, I probably never will go on a cruise because I get seasick and my worst nightmare is, is being on, on a ship for a week and I'm sick and I can't get off. You know, that's just like hell on earth. So I probably never will. But j- just imagine if you're, if you're a cruiser, uh, just imagine that you're standing on the kind of the top, the top uh, floor, the top balcony, and your beautiful day, sun is out. You're just kind of looking over the, the, the beautiful ocean. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this huge swell hits, and you just go plummeting like 40, 50 feet, right? Off the cruise ship, you splash into the, like the, the icy Atlantic shark-infested waters, right? And you're, <laughs> you're glad you came to church this morning, right? Like, man, I already had anxiety, and you're just ramping it up. And uh, so just imagine for a moment, we'll get to a happier place in a minute, that you're floating there. It's, man, it's scary. It's deep, dark water. You can just feel the sharks looking at you under there. And let's just imagine that someone just, man, you got lucky. Somebody on the crew, they saw you fall, so they run over there. They grab a life ring, and they throw that bad boy out there, and they nail it. It just splashes right in front of you. Let me ask you a question. In that moment, are you going to cling to that life raft with immense gratitude? Or are you going to say, like, I can't believe you only threw me one way, dude? Like, how about a, vari- how about a variety of ways? Like, what, what if I wanted a bigger one, a softer one, one with a different color? What, what, what if I wanted the one that looks, it's kind of like shaped like a unicorn? Like, how dare you have the audacity to only throw me one way of rescue? No, of course, in that moment, you're, you're going to cling to that thing with everything that you have, and you're going to be grateful for it with every fiber of your being. Guys, listen, that is a picture of our lives. All of us have been tossed overboard by a sea of our own sin. And God, not because he owes us anything, but because he loves us so deeply, has made a way of rescue for us through his son, Jesus Christ. A way for us to be forgiven and restored to our purpose, to be cleansed and made new and set free. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. I think pastor and uh, theologian uh, John Piper is, is helpful for us here, and I certainly don't agree with everything that Piper uh, teaches, but I only agree with myself about 70% of the time, so that's, that's probably par for the course. Uh, but, I, but I think Piper, Piper is pretty helpful for us here. This is kind of a longer quote, but just ask you to kind of stick with me as we, we re- read through it. This is what Piper writes. He says this, Many are willing to believe in Christ if he remains merely a spiritual reality, but when we preach that Christ has become a particular man in a particular place, issuing particular commands and dying on a particular cross, exposing the particular sins of our particular lives, then that preaching ceases to be acceptable for many. I don't think it's so much the mystery of a divine and human nature in one person that causes most people to stumble over the doctrine of incarnation. The stumbling block is that if this doctrine is true, every single person in the world must obey this one particular Jewish man because everything he says is law, everything he did is perfect, and the particularity of his work and word flow out in history in the form of a particular inspired book that claims universal authority over every other book that has ever been written. This is the stumbling block. When God becomes man, he strips away every pretense of man to be God. We can no longer do our own thing. We must do what this one Jewish man wants us to do. We can no longer pose as self-sufficient because this one Jewish man says we are all sick with sin and must come to him for healing. We can no longer depend on our wisdom to find life because this one Jewish man who lived for 30 obscure years in a little country in the Middle East says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things, and this man becomes the measure of all things. This is simply intolerable to the rebellious heart of men and women. The incarnation is a violation of the bill of human rights written by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It is totalitarian. It is authoritarian. It is imperialism. It is despotism. It is usurpation, absolutism. Who does he think he is? He is God. And that is good news, y'all. Jesus is eternal and he is eternal life itself listen friend with jesus you can have nothing in this world and yet have everything that matters in life and without him you can have everything this world offers and yet have nothing that matters in this life now two more truths that we need to get to before we wrap it up look at verse three john continues that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have underline this word fellowship we're going to see it again that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our again same word fellowship koinonia fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ now that word fellowship in the greek we've talked about this before previous months previous series is, is koinonia And all koinonia means is a super close relational bond. Almost think of like a family bond, the way a a loving husband might love his wife or his children. And what John is getting at here is that in Jesus, we have this relational bond with this koinonia because of Jesus with the God of this universe. So we get vertical koinonia, vertical fellowship, which would be amazing enough as it were, but he says, that's wait, there's more. We also get fellowship with one another in the body, the family of Jesus. So we get vertical fellowship and we get horizontal fellowship. Now that means, and I want you to listen to this, that means when we come to Jesus, listen guys, God becomes our heavenly father. He becomes our heavenly dad. 
Paul says we're actually adopted into his family. Like, like if you've been in church for a while, don't, don't, don't allow your heart to lose the wonder of this truth. You get how immense this is that the God of this universe looks down through, through time and history and sees you sitting right where you're sitting and he looks at you and he goes, my son, my daughter. And no, they're not perfect, but man, I'm crazy about them. Like, I love him so much. Like, I love her so much. Like, does that ever blow your mind that you can know the God of this universe as your heavenly dad, as your father? That is absolutely amazing. So the next time, let me just encourage you, next time one of your, your friends tries to, to name drop and impress people, you know, like, hey, listen, I, I ran into Taylor Swift, you know, backstage at the concert, and we're kind of like homies now, or... Um, you know, I was sitting in first class on Delta flight to LA and I sat by LeBron, and so we're kind of tight now. Like, you could just be like, hey, man, that's cool, but guess who I know? God. That's cool, but guess who I know? The God of this universe. Like, I, I know him. He's my father. Like, we have a, like, he talk, like, open his word and he speaks to me and I talk back to him and I pray these crazy prayers and he answers my prayer. Like, this, is, this is amazing. Like, this, I know the creator of all that is. Like, I know him and he knows me. This is absolutely insane. Like, don't ever lose the wonder of this that we know the God of this universe, not in an impersonal way, in a personal way. He is our father. This is incredible. Now, this, this is enough. Like, we, we could just stop here, uh, just minds blown. We could just raise our hands. I could call the band up. We could sing. We could be done now. But John's got even more for us. He, he says, listen, not only do we get fellowship, intimate relationship with the Father, we also, we also get fellowship when we come to Jesus with an entire new family of brothers and sisters. And we get an, an entire new set of family members. Like, y'all, y'all, this might be, like, encouraging to some of you. This might terrify some of you, but I don't say it anyway. Y'all, listen, we are siblings. Like, I am the brother you never wanted. Like, I'm the brother you never wanted. And if you don't like me now, just think we get eternity together. You're never going to get away from me. You might as well learn how to like me now, right? This is, this is incredible. Like, we get this entire new family. It's, and, and for those of you, especially if you grew up in, in maybe an unhealthy family dynamic with, you know, bad parents, abusive parents, or maybe not a great relationship with your siblings, or, this is especially great news. That, man, we get, a, like, a, a restart, refresh button. And we get a whole new family with a heavenly father and all these siblings who also love and follow Jesus to do life with. Like, man, this is the greatest news ever. I heard my... Uh, Seminary professor Danny Aiken say this one time, just stuck in my head, thought it was good. So I'm going to share it with you. Um, but, but he said this, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, but I'm telling you the spirit is thicker than blood. Isn't that good? Blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is thicker than blood. Blood family is one thing, spirit family is another thing altogether. Which is, by the way, church family, when you travel internationally, globally, and listen, I, I hope some of you that have, some of you that haven't, I hope you'll take that step with us this year. Maybe that's one of your steps in 2023 that God wants from you, is just to say yes and go on one of these global mission trips with us. We got a whole bunch planned out this year. I hope that you'll consider going with us. But that's one thing, if you go or if you've been in the past, you, you, you know to be true that oftentimes you find more of a kindred bond with uh, an Asian mom who knows and loves Jesus or an African dad or a Hispanic teenager who knows and loves Jesus 
uh, than, than maybe your neighbor who looks just like you and dresses just like you and votes just like you and likes all the same sports teams as you who doesn't know and love Jesus. You have more of a kindred bond with those folks than the folks that look just like you but don't know Christ. You know why? Because we share the same Father. And we're indwelt by the same spirit. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've got on an airplane, flown somewhere, some faraway distant land, and I meet these people. I can't even speak their language. And as soon as I meet them, there's just like this incredible bond. Like I've known this dude my whole life. I've known this old sweet lady. She's like my grandma now, man. We just hug each other. Man, we share the same bond, the same spirit, the same heavenly father. It's a beautiful thing. So here's point number two on the screens for you. Number two, Jesus offers or wants to offer you life-giving fellowship vertically with the father, also horizontally with a whole new family of siblings. Now, given all of that, it makes perfect sense what John writes in verse 4. Look what he says in verse 4. He says this, and we are writing these things so that our joy, circle that, may be, underlined, complete. So John goes, one of the reasons I'm, I'm writing this letter is so that our joy, mine and yours, the writer and the recipient of this le these letters, so that your joy may be complete. Now, again, John is just parroting what he heard his best friend, Jesus, teach all those years prior. Look at John 15, also on the screens for you. This is Jesus saying basically the same thing. Jesus says this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full or complete. The same exact thing John just said. Which leads right to truth number three this morning. Jesus, listen friend, Jesus wants your joy. Did you know that? He's for you. Now, if, if you grew up in maybe kind of a, a legalistic church background or, or something like that, and, and you were kind of taught that, that God basically wants to sap all the fun and joy out of your life, so following him just means you've got to put on sackcloth and ashes and just suffer through life, and then finally you get to heaven one day, and that's when you get to have fun. I want you to know, man, you missed the boat, or your pastor missed the boat. Yes, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be incredible and full of joy and all those things, but I believe he wants that to spill over into your life now, today, in 2023. He wants your joy to be full in this life. And John is saying, man, in Jesus, we, we share all these common things. We share a common destiny, eternal life. We share a common father and the creator, a common savior in Jesus, a common, common family with one another, and this should produce in us a common or shared joy. Now, the thing I love here is that he, he says um, a complete joy. You notice that? He didn't, he didn't say a partial joy. He said, I, I want you, I'm writing these things so that, that our joy might be complete, full joy. So let me, let me just ask you a question as we step into a new year. Friend, Christian, are you settling for partial joy right now in your life? Are you, are you settling for, for partial joy? It's like, man, some days you're joyful, some days you're not, depending on the circumstances, depending on what the weather's like, depending on whether your friends are nice to you or not, whatever it is. Are you settling for partial joy? Listen, I want you to know, you don't have to this year. I want you to know, Jesus is offering you full joy in himself. Like, why, why would you ever settle for partial joy when you're being offered full joy that'd be like settling for being a, a duke basketball fan when you could be a carolina basketball fan like why would you ever settle for one when you could have the other duke fans you can email me your comments at i don't care at newlife.org 
Listen, guys, I don't know what this new year is going to throw at us. I don't know what 2023 is going to be like. Here, here's what I can promise you. There, there will be storms. There will be mountaintops. There will be valleys. There will be tears. There will be celebration. But through it all, I want you to know this. You have a Savior who has walked the path before you, and he promises to walk it again with you, not because he has to, but because he wants to be with you and because he loves you that much. That's incredible. The God of this universe loves you, and Jesus is proof of that unshakable, unbreakable love of the Father. And I say this all the time. I'm going to keep beating this drum because I think it's true. Listen, followers of Jesus ought to be the most joyful people on planet Earth. Christians ought to be the most joyful people on planet Earth. Why? Because our eternal destination is secure in Christ. We have a heavenly Father who loves us, a Savior who rescued us, a family of brand new siblings in Christ. He's given us a mission and purpose in this life. Listen, church family, who's got it better than us? Nobody's got it better than us. Nobody on planet Earth has it better than those who know and love and follow Jesus. That leads me to my final insight here, then, then we're done. I want you to notice how many times John uses the word proclaim or testify. Starting in verse two, back on the screens for you, he writes this, life, the life was made manifest, talking about Jesus, and we have seen it, and watch this, testify to it, that's the first time, and proclaim, that's the second time, to you the eternal life. Skip down to verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Three times in four verses, he's going, listen, we proclaim Jesus to you. We proclaim Jesus to you. We testify about Jesus to you. Listen, he's excited about you knowing Jesus. He wants to share this with you. He's elated about Jesus. He wants you to be elated about Jesus and experience that same joy that he experiences. So here's the last deal. This is uh, just kind of a, a, a bonus point on the screens for you. I think it's true. Here it is. We share what we value. We share what we value. That's convicting to me. I hope it's convicting to you. Listen, if you go to a great restaurant, you're gonna share it with your friends. Some of you are gonna put it on social media if your favorite sports teams win. You're gonna text your buddy about it. If you start dating someone and you just fall head over heels in love with them, you're, you're not gonna be able to stop talking about them to your family and your friends and all, listen, all that kind of thing. So here's my challenge to you. As you bow your head, we're almost done. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Ben's gonna go ahead and come on up, lead us in a, in a worship song. But as we, as we launch into a brand new year, as we launch into a brand new sermon series, here, here's what I want you to, to ask God for. I want you to ask God to show you one person that you, like John, can, can proclaim and testify Jesus to. But just ask God, God, is there, a, is there a colleague? Is there a coworker? Is there a neighbor? Is there a parent? Is there a child? Is there a cousin? Is there a dorm room mate? Is there a classmate? Is there, who, who is it who's far from God that you would have me do what John is doing in this letter, and that is shamelessly proclaiming and testifying about the risen one, Jesus, so that they could share in that joy that we have as his followers. For some of you, you man, you know who that is. You see that, you see that name, you, you know the face, you already, you've been praying for him for months, maybe even years. For others of you, maybe it's somebody you're gonna meet this year. You don't even know him yet, but you're gonna meet him next month, next week this summer and here specifically let me let me just encourage you to ask God for two things this year would you ask God to give you opportunity 
encourage to testify, to proclaim Jesus to someone this year? Both, opportunity and courage. Because oftentimes I think God gives us the opportunity, but we lack the courage. And then there are times where we maybe are feeling courageous, but, but, but we just don't really feel like we get the right opportunity. Like the, the conversation never really flows and opens up in a way that would make sense for us to share this glorious good news of the gospel. So I want you to just ask God for those two things. I believe he'll honor this prayer. God, would you give me opportunity and would you give me courage to open my mouth and share Jesus when you give me the opportunity this year? So that they also could experience fellowship with their heavenly dad. Fellowship with a brand new spiritual family of brothers and sisters. May this be the year that many people who are far off from God come near because we break our own shackles of fear and being intimidated. So we begin to share the love of the greatest news that ever was that Jesus came, that he conquered, that he rose again. God uses this year. Heavenly Father, we. We come to you and we are grateful as we launch into a new year that you've given us your word as a guide. You've given us your spirit to lead us, that we are not alone, that we are not orphans. You've adopted us into your family. You are our heavenly dad. You're our father. We get each other as siblings. These amazing truths, God. I pray that we wouldn't lose sight, that we'd never lose our awe of this truth. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage like John to proclaim Jesus to folks as you give us opportunity, as you cross our paths with different people in 2023, that you would not only give us the opportunity, but when the opportunity presents itself, God, that you'd give us the courage. Even if our voice trembles in the moment, give us the courage to speak up and just point people to the hope and the joy that they can also experience through Jesus who came into this world to live a perfect life, to die the death we deserve, rose again to give us eternal life now and forever. God, would you, would you help that be who we are, who we are becoming, what we're being molded into at a, as a faith family, that this would just be like the DNA of our church family is that, man, we're, we're, we're just beggars tell, telling other beggars where we found the bread. We're not arrogant, we're not mean, we're loving with a tear in our eyes, but we just keep pointing people back to Jesus. Would you help us become those kind of men and women, that kind of church this year? Not for our glory, not for any kind of accolades for us, God, but for, for your glory, for the fame of the name of Jesus Christ here in Asheville and around the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, listen.